everybody, and welcome back to Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. It's Friday. And that means it's Godzilla. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. I write for The Wrap. I write for The Film Verdict. I write for Slash Film. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. I contribute to Slash Film. I write an awful lot over there. Yes, I, I write for more places, but I write very little in comparison. <laughs> it's, it's it's all a matter of perspective. Uh, and uh, yeah, this is our podcast where every week we're reviewing a new film in the Godzilla series. We're doing every Godzilla movie and every tangentially related Godzilla film where creatures that would eventually interact with Godzilla directly make their debuts. And... Uh, We've done a lot of those. Some of them mm. have been really interesting. Some of them have been kind of crap. Uh, and uh, this is, I think this is the last one we're going to be doing for a while. The, uh, the last non-Godzilla, that is. Yeah, the last non-Godzilla that is, yeah, and it isn't just like another Mothra. Like, it's an, it's just an odd film that happens to contain some monsters that will, like, later on make a cameo mm. uh, in one film or another. But, uh, but, but, that's, but we're going to be thorough, and also it gives an, us an excuse to watch more monster movies. Yeah, and, and again, some of these films that are not typically considered Godzilla movies, but are definitely of a piece, mm. uh, have been really fascinating watches. Oh, yeah. uh, I I think overall, the one of these that is sticking with me the most, weirdly enough, even though I, I wouldn't have said this maybe the week we reviewed it, is Dogura. Just oh, because yeah. it's so it's pronouncedly a, weird. Because it's about a diamond heist. It's mostly but also, a diamond heist movie. But, it's but, mostly a diamond heist movie. Weirdly, Dogura is more about a space amoeba than space amoeba. Which is very true. Yeah, uh, yeah we're reviewing Space Amoeba, which was directed once again by Ishiro Honda, who we will not see... I think we're only going to see them one more this, time. Yeah, uh, Ishida Honda, um, we, we mentioned a few uh, episodes back, Ishida Honda's contract with Toho ran out. Mm. Uh, I think uh, he signed some sort of plum deal, like had a 15 film contract, something yeah. really, really wild. And uh, But he was also amazingly prolific. So for Ishida Honda, that's like two <clears throat> years. Yeah. Uh, but his contract ran out and they wouldn't renegotiate it. He had to negotiate each film time, mm. uh, picture by picture. And I, I imagine this was due largely to changing trends in the Japanese film industry, which I'm not mm -hmm. savvy enough to know about. Sure. Uh, but from what I understand, that was exhausting. Mm -hmm. You don't want to negotiate each contract. You would rather just sort of sign one and be able to make each one of these, make yeah. them all. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of the old guard, because mm. we're in the 70s now. Yeah, and people have been uh, making these movies. Ishiro Honda's been making these movies for, mm -hmm. I think, at this point, about 16 years. Can you imagine if it was a yeah. single director... Making every film in the MCU, for instance. Yeah, I think that you're guy would be I think you're tired to out on. after yeah. like 19 pictures. I'd be impressed if there's any ingenuity comes out, and I think there is some in this movie, which I'll give him credit for. But, but there's like, some ingenuity, but I'm feeling how tired it is. Sure. And at the same time, uh, the aesthetic is changing, and that's largely because the original uh, special effects artist, mm -hmm. A.G. Tsubaraya, who did the monster effects for all these dang things, <clears throat> yeah, pretty uh, much, yeah. died. This year. Uh, the, not this year that we're recording, the, but the, the year, year of... The year of Space Amoeba. In fact, he was supposed to work on Space Amoeba, and he died like two days into production. Yeah. Uh, and this also... But he was still credited. Still credited, but here's the thing. He was supposed uh, to work on the film, and the you know I think his, his protege ended up taking over, as he had already done for some films. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, Ishiro Honda uh, and uh, uh, Sadamasa Arikawa... Uh, they wanted to dedicate the film mm. to A.G. Subaraya. 
And Toho would let them. Toho said no. <laughs> what the shit, Toho? What? Why? What possible like, justification could you have to not put up one fucking title card? To say and, thanks um, to the guy who gave you all these fucking monster movies. And apparently they were so disgusted. That they, that they, 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 they never talked about Space Amoeba. Yeah, well, Ishiro Honda uh, actually mostly moved away from feature filmmaking after this. He mm-hmm. had a lot of TV. He would come back for the terror of Mechagodzilla. That's right. Uh, and Just he would like four more years. But yeah. And then after a few more years after that, he would work with Akira Kurosawa. But he, he his directing career was basically over. And it's it's tempting to, without knowing the guy... Uh, put a lot of stock in the idea that Toho just disgusted him. Uh, well, it just, but it, it, it makes sense though. It became too tough. I, yeah. I uh, read an article just recently. It was just published in GQ. Uh, it was an interview with Martin Scorsese, man in his early eighties. Yeah, and he's still making movies. He's said he regrets that he's getting older because he still has so many more stories to tell. Yeah, I mean, like like his mortality is now an issue for it, him. It takes years uh, to make yeah. a movie. He doesn't. He only has a finite number left. Yeah, and and, maybe a very uh, small number for all he knows. And uh, he remember he recalled uh, in this interview working on Gangs of New York, yeah. a movie that's almost twenty years old at this point. Yeah, weird. But uh, Gangs of New York was actually a it's film actually he deep. spent almost twenty years or no, like thirty years making. Yeah, he'd been wanting like, to do that since the early eighties. Like he. Even before he found the book that it, oh, that okay. it's based on, when he was like a teenager, like okay. he was really excited about this story about you know the the, the origin of New York. Uh, Gangs of New York is over twenty years old at this point. Actually, it's twenty one years old. It's two thousand five. It came out, two. wasn't it? Two thousand two. You're right. Mm-hmm. A twenty one year old film. Wow. Uh, I am old. Twenty one years. I st- You've I made a lot remember, of memories in those times, I right? There's remember, a lot that's been happening. I went Time to see Gangs of New York. I uh-huh. went to see Gangs of New York at a theater in Westwood while I was guts, uh, going to film school at UCLA. Uh-huh. And I distinctly remember, because people made fun of me for it, I knew some people were like trying to get a hold of me, and I knew I was going to see like a three-hour fucking movie. Uh-huh. So instead of just turning off my phone, I re-recorded my answer receipt message. says, hey, I'm going to see Gangs of New York right now. I'll call you when it's over. Boop. And mm-hmm. people were like, that's the biggest waste of time I've ever seen anyone. You changed your ugly message just because you were seeing Gangs of New York? Jesus, Bibbs. And, so. and it's not, I mean, it's two hours, 45 minutes. It's big, but it's not the longest film I've seen. No, it was uh, pretty long. But uh, in order to get that film made, he needed to uh, make a couple compromises. He had to work with Harvey uh, Weinstein, to, who he hated. He had to work with Harvey Weinstein, and he hated it because Harvey Weinstein was one of those like asshole producers who kept on insisting on changes. Yeah. Uh, I think it was the not just Harvey Weinstein, but like other executives mm-hmm. and other screenwriters along the way insisted that he put a love story element in it, which he didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Cameron Diaz character was like a late really addition uh, feel, to, to that movie. It feels it. Uh, and the, and the movie's a mess. It feels like it, it had been gestating for thirty years. It's yeah. I would it's, it's the, not that good. Um, I actually rewatched it not that long ago, and I think it actually holds up a little better than you're giving it credit mm-hmm. for. I think there are definite huge chunks of that movie where it sings, mm-hmm. but then every once in a while, a Weinsteinism comes along, and yeah. you're like, oh, okay, well, so, this feels tacked on. So, so it's frustrating. So, so Thelma, you had a job. <laughs> Cut out that stuff. <laughs> You're the editor. Just cut all that stuff. Like seriously, out. there's there's you, there's a, there's a, a ninety minute movie in there that's amazing. I, th- I think there's I think there might even be a two hour movie in there that's yeah. amazing. But yeah, it's a, it's it's got compromises that mm. hurt it. But there's that movie is a masterpiece of production design. Holy they shit! They built a city for goodness' sake. It's gorgeous. Sake. But, uh, that fucking point movie. being, uh, in in this interview, Martin Scorsese said that it was such a, a difficult process getting that movie to screen, mm. and working with Harvey Weinstein was such a horrible experience because Harvey Weinstein was just a 
terrible person to work for, in addition to being a terrible person. Yeah. This is separate from his his cri- his criminal life. Yeah. He was also a terrible person. Yeah. Uh, and he said if he had to do that again, had to keep on going for, like through that, jumping through those hoops. Mm. And he made another film for Miramax immediately thereafter. He made The Aviator. That was his oh, next yeah, movie. I guess that was Miramax, yeah. Uh, and that was, I guess, a more pleasant experience, maybe because he fi- figured out to be a little bit more limber, but I he said I that he had a, to... I think I heard a story about how Martin Scorsese like, had to tell his like, assistant, uh, I may work here, but I'm never having a meeting with Harvey Weinstein ever again. And, maybe, Harvey yeah, Weinstein, maybe. and apparently Weinstein was offended. Like Harvey Weinstein was like, because Martin Scorsese has clout. Hmm. Martin Scorsese has dignity. And Martin Scorsese doesn't want to talk to me. That's a blow to the ego. Yeah. But if anyone deserved it... <laughs> Jesus. But... Uh, he said that if he had to work under those circumstances, he would make movies. Yeah. He, he would have retired if he yeah. had to keep on making movies under the same circumstances as Gangs of New York. Yeah. So when, uh, he, when he complains about the studio system, that's what he means. Yeah. And I, and I think uh, that this is something that might, might have been happening with Ishiro Honda. Mm-hmm. The studio maybe. system got a little too rigid, or maybe it was just a little too complicated for him at this mm-hmm. point. Also, he's getting older. He's made, you know, 20 of these things already. He's... If you look over his whole filmography, this is what it's like 150th movie. He's made so many it's, films. It's a lot. I don't um, know exactly. It's number. not no, that, maybe that's not a, quite that's that an many. Exaggeration, it is an exaggeration, but he's made a lot of films, and uh, I'm not going to blame the guy for wanting to step away uh, from this genre of films that he helped create hmm. and is now just not interesting to him anymore. Uh, yeah, we as people who don't make movies or who aren't movie stars. Uh, tend to make assumptions about the people who do. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, the people who want to be movie stars and surely everybody wants to be a bigger movie star, get bigger paychecks, be more famous, make bigger pieces of art. Not necessarily. Well, uh, I, it's like when when big movie stars retire. Yeah, or like, or or even uh, better example because that retirement I think we can all wrap our heads around. But like, let's imagine there's like some actor mm-hmm. who gets a dream role. Like in your head, like if you were an actor, like you get you to would, play Han Solo. You would or kill to be yeah. Doctor Who. You know that kind of thing. And then like David Tennant leaves the role, mm. and you're like. Why How wouldn't... could you leave the role? That's a dream. And I'm like, he's doing it's... it every day. It is a job. It's there are a... compromises. Yeah, yeah. There's life decisions he's had to make around that. I've there always, are reasons uh... beyond the, the, the simple appeal of doing something cool yeah, while you make your uh, choices. Re- resented those articles that say, uh, and and this this actor was offered like this famous role, and yeah. they turned it down. Um, like we, uh, The one I, ke- I kept on hearing was um, the actor Chris O'Donnell. Oh, so he was hot shit in the mid '90s. He moved yeah. to TV, and he's actually had a pretty prolific yeah, TV like career. But um, had one of the CSI, yeah, or something, which yeah. which you know, I'm sure he's plenty Ooh. rich from that. That's got to be a pretty satisfying job. Good for him. Job. It's a good gig if you can get it. Um, he turned down a role in uh, the movie Men in Black, which was the highest grossing film of 1997. Sure. Uh, and this was like after he had already done uh, some Batman movies. Like he was, he was yeah. pretty no, he was, famous. He was, he was a big deal in the mid '90s. Yeah. And he was going to play uh, the Will Smith role. Yeah. He's going to play one of the lead characters. And he turned it down. He didn't want to do it. Uh, and that ended up going to Will Smith, who's a very different actor. He very brings, different actor. You cannot a... imagine Chris O'Donnell doing that music, like Chris... that music video. Uh, right. <laughs> it's a, I don't think like, they would have marketed the film like Chris, very Chris differently. Chris O'Donnell has a sense of humor, but he's also like a little bit more of like a, a, an intense type of a char- uh, character yeah. actor. He's, he's He can't play a Will Smith role. As no, no. They... And Will Smith can't play a Chris O'Donnell role. No, that's frankly. fair. I think that's fair. He couldn't, he couldn't star in CSI. I'll say that. That's I cannot, not I cannot imagine him in Circle of Friends. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're different kind of actors. Yeah. Um, 
Chris O'Donnell didn't want to play in Men in Black. Did he make a bad decision? That's the the general wisdom is he made a bad decision because he could have been a big movie star. You know what? Here's something we haven't considered. What if he just didn't want to? Yeah. <laughs> what What if he didn't care about that material? What if he just didn't find it appealing? I, what if he doesn't like the movie that came out? I love those stories not because like we're judging people for making the wrong choices, mm. but because it creates this like sort of idea in our head of alternate film history. Like I heard this story. Mm. It sounds true, but who can say? Uh, that Nick Nolte was offered the role of Superman in like 1979 mm. and he said I'll do it if I can play him as a serial killer and they said no and so that was the end of that but and the, I'm like I, I want to see the, the alternate Nick, version of Nick, that movie the Nick Nolte serial killer Superman movie is a movie right? I want to see but that yeah. sounds like an amazing thing and, and then sometimes you just hear a story that's like it's almost like an everything everywhere all at once thing where mm. the people themselves wonder Burt Reynolds as openly said, in like the 70s, mm. they offered him James Bond. They offered him a lot of roles. They offered, he, was, he, he was a big star. He was specifically said James Bond. This is the, the anecdote I was saying, where it's like, yeah, they offered me James Bond. And I said no. And I agree with him for this point. He said, James Bond should be British. Okay. It's a great role. I would love to play it, but I think it would be wrong for the role. Mm. Kudos to Bert for saying that, by the way. That's classy. And he said he has, throughout his entire life, woken up in cold sweats, thinking uh, he made the wrong choice. Regretting not taking the James Bond. Right? Away. So, like, you never know. But it, we're, They, they we're joked out... about that in the Weird Al movie. The Burt Reynolds thing? No, that, that Weird Al was offered the role of James Bond. Is like, I don't want to play a crappy role like James Bond. Give me something big. Okay. That was the gag in Weird Al. I forgot that. Anyway, we, we, we're... Space Amoeba is a... Space Amoeba. Space Amoeba is a weird... Space Amoeba. Space Amoeba Please. is weird. Uh, Space yeah. Amoeba is bad. Uh, oh, spa- Space Amoeba... Uh, I didn't hate it. Okay. I, I don't hate it. Okay. But it's it's clearly tired. Uh, the design of the monster is a little strange, and there's, I there's feel... There's three monsters. There's three, there's three monsters in one that are all kind of the Space Amoeba. The Space Amoeba is essentially a cloud... Yeah. A spacecraft at the beginning of the movie goes up into space. The space amoeba is this like sentient cloud that makes its way onto the ship, knows how to work the controls, steers it back toward Earth, crashes in the ocean, possesses an amoeba, Uh and it becomes the space amoeba. I I love, there's a bit later on where the space amoeba uh, uh, infects a person so it can talk to people and actually reveal its intentions. And we'll go into that when we get to it, but it describes itself since we're on it. Uh, as uh, yes, actually, we are astro. You would you know us as astro quasars, and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. Everyone in the audience has heard the word quasar before, so we're just not going to a- interrogate that. Uh, that is not what a fucking quasar you, is you at know, all. No. <laughs> you know us as astro quasars. Sure, um, oh, well, that's awfully presumptuous that I would yeah. know what that is. But basically, yeah, it's it's a it's an alien entity that can possess mm. things, but also mutate them mm. so that they become, in the case of animals, like super gigantic and powerful. Yeah. And yeah. That Space Amoeba costume, I feel so bad for Haru and Nakajima, who's You mean played, the squid? The squid okay. monster. Okay, because there's there's a squid, there's, there's like a, a crab, and, and there's a turtle and, creature. And it's like a turtle bat, they describe it as. It's like half bat, yeah. half turtle, which and, is a weird And they're, they're all based on real animals. Yeah. Um, uh, let, let me look up what some of the... Because I wasn't familiar with these animals. Yeah. Uh, one of them is... Yeah, one of them is a, a, a cuttlefish. It's not a squid. Um, no, kiss? I think the cuttlefish is the is, a, the, is the, hold on, the, the, te- the tentacled one is a cuttlefish. The big pincher one is a stone crab. Mm. And the turtle looking one is an animal called a matamata, which I, I'm not too familiar with. I think we see it earlier um, in the film. It's like an unusual kind of turtle. It's Yeah, it's kind of a turtle. And it's yeah. not native to Japan. It's actually like yeah. an Amazonian creature. Yeah. 
and what, it, up, what it's doing in the South Pacific in this movie is anyone's guess, but yeah. yeah. Uh, it's why did why did they choose a wolf and a snapping turtle in Ninja Turtles too? I that know, always that, pissed me that, off. That, I'm like, costume. I'm sorry, Those are not city animals. Get a rat, boar yeah. and a rhino were right fucking there in canon. You could have given us Bebop and Rocksteady. You could have made those kids happy. They would have gone to see that movie three fucking times. You had a license to print money, and instead you're like, eh, dog and snapping turtle. Fuck off. <laughs> Still mad. Why are you mad? Still about mad that? because it's right there. Imagine, imagine well, if we, you listen. Listen, imagine, think, like, we oh, we had those already. Now we have something in, new. Yeah, but it's in a different medium. I can appreciate. Mm-hmm. It. Let me put it this way. Imagine if Tim Burton's Batman uh-huh. is exactly the same movie, except instead of playing the Joker, Jack Nicholson played Clown Guy. You would say to yourself, "Why not? Why didn't you just call him the Joker? It's the same fucking movie." Why, so. why? Why? It's just confusing and weird. Clown guy is a new character. Uh, what if, <laughs> He's not. It's the okay. same guy with a different fucking color what, what hat. If, what if, I don't know. Okay, Harley Quinn is just the Joker over again, but people like her. Harley Quinn has created a distinct identity for herself over the years. When she was first created, okay, so Harley uh, Quinn was simply an homage. Clown to guy uh-huh. would have become much more interesting and creative than the Joker. And, Joker and maybe and, that's true. Uh, On the other hand, Toka, I can ap- Toka and Raza I because I remember that shit. I, I also remember that shit. I can. <laughs> appreciate i can appreciate people going to see the batman movie and just being really distracted is my point all right it's an unnecessary distraction is my point uh haru nakajima who plays uh plays godzilla in most of these movies yeah uh, and and many other creatures besides has to wear that cuttlefish costume and it's the one of the first times I've seen it, seen just through his body language, mm. where he looks kind of uncomfortable and ungainly. Like, well, it's so badly designed. It has no arms. I mean, yeah. it has, like, octopus arms, but no but place for, like, his arms. they're dangling down. Yeah, yeah. there's, there's and, like, feet underneath there, yeah. but he, like, you can, can tell that, like, really awkwardly. He's got, like, a whole bunch of, like, dangly tentacle bits, because a couple of bitches basically looks like a, like an octopus. Um... He's got a whole bunch of tentacles. They're, they're Two so, of them are designed. We're angry letters from marine biologists, man. You just oh, said it. Oh, Christ. I'm sorry. Listen, <laughs> I'm just talking visually. Animal. I'm just talking visually. You'd be forgiven if you're an amateur for confusing the two. So, and and again, we're making the giant silly monster version of this. So, it, I I thought it was a, a, an octopus or a squid the entire movie. I didn't actually realize it was mm. a cuttlefish because, again, this is the monster version extrapolation of, it, yeah. of what it was supposed to be. Um, but yeah, he's got all these dangly tentacles, but like on top of it, he's just wearing like almost like a sheet, basically. Mm. Like it's an elaborate sheet. It's got glowy eyes, but he's just walking around. Mm. He can't move his arms or nothing. Uh, so it's just his legs and they're pulling the tentacles, uh, with probably wires or some other form of basic puppetry. Uh, and I'll say this, regardless of how much I feel bad for the actor in that costume, because it looks really uncomfortable. I actually think they get some fun shots out of that. It's one of mm. the it's one of the times where they actually film the kaiju almost exclusively in slow motion, mm. which gives it a, a sort of a floaty feeling, which I think it looks really good for it. Um, there's also some. I, I'll give this movie credit in the visual effects department. Better compositing than we've seen in any other movie before. There is well, some more, really wonderful. There's better compositing because there's more compositing. Well, we actually more, have but, mentioned that. Um, yeah. The, for the most part, there's been a few exceptions, of course. Yeah. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of uh, blue screen work. Mm-hmm. There's been no animation. Uh, uh, the dog had a little bit. 
I, I, oh yeah, right. Dog, Dog, Dog had a, had a yeah. little bit, but mostly I it's think some been, lightning effects. Mostly yeah. it's been photographic effects. Yeah. It's been uh, and it's been puppetry and it's been actors yeah. in suits. Yeah, uh, they're getting and, a little ambitious with this one. And actually. this one, they're getting ambitious. There's a lot more compositing. Yeah, uh, and, and you say to, it's to, better. You say it's better. It's just because there's more of it. No, I disagree and, with that. Uh, it doesn't have that like blue halo effect around yeah. people that's really distracting and pronounced and ruins the illusion. They've actually really cleaned it up a lot. Yeah. And I think that's an and, impressive uh, move forward. And in a first, uh, there is there is animation in yeah. this one. Uh, the space amoeba cuttlefish yeah. uh, is chasing some people off of the South Pacific Island. And there's actually a shot where uh, we see a, an animated tentacle enter mm-hmm. the frame and grab someone, pull them off the ground. Yeah, so, so clearly that's an, act, over that's an actor yeah. that's being pulled up with a cable. Yeah, so it's complicated effect, and then they animated this, uh, but it like looks, hand hand painted a, a tentacle it, onto the frame. It's brief, so that you're not really getting used to the image, and probably mm-hmm. like being able to say, "Oh, that's animation." It's so striking that it happens. Like it's like, whoa, th- whoa! I actually had to go back. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, I want to see that again. Holy shit! <laughs> Well done, everybody. But also on top of that, they're using compositing in some interesting ways to in order to increase scale. Like uh, there's a bit where the cuttlefish is attacking this village and um, the village has some like statues in it. We see the cuttlefish from like a low angle, not an uncommon shot, but they have added, they've composited in those statues. So they give us a sense of better scale. And I was like, yeah, that's the way to do that. That's a that's a nice, classy way to make this movie that much more epic. This one was originally intended to be like a really big destroy all monsters epic, where these monsters were, oh, like they were, they were gonna destroying like the whole planet, sinking continents yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And then Toho was like, "Slow your roll." <laughs> we don't have that much money. Too, we, on, yeah. They couldn't even afford to film on Guam. They wanted to film on Guam, and they were like, "Too expensive." Slow your roll. Bring it back. Bring it back. <laughs> Kill it way the fuck back. I'm impressed at how big this movie actually feels. I, the the opening of the movie where um it's well first off I I love the opening credits because it's like this really we see pounding, the monsters right away. We yeah. see the monsters right away because it's gonna be a while before we see them and uh, it's really pounding music and it's just these like really like big hero shots of all the monsters in kind of an ominous way and it really sold me on these monsters like oh man. These monsters must be really cool and have cool personalities. They don't. But then we get to... Well, that... and, and it has their... They're in the original title. Oh, yeah. Let me look it up. Oh, their names, um, right? Yeah, it's um, Geizora, Ganime, and Kameba Kesen. Nankai no Daikaiju. Yeah. Uh, which is you know, Geizora, Ganime, uh, and Kamoibas. Kameba. Okay. Decisive battle, exclamation point, giant monsters of the South Seas. Yeah. Uh, one of the original yeah. titles was Great Monster Assault. That's I, a, I think, a little I, generic. But a little I, generic. I'm glad they went with what they went with. But I, like, anyway. I like Decisive Battle. Decisive Battle yeah. is, is... Well, it's Decisive is what it is. Um, but the yeah. opening like Ka- sequence is... It's, it's, pay attention to Kamoibas, because that's the one we'll see yeah. later on. Which one's Kamoibas? Is that the turtle or the... I think that's that's the... I think it's a turtle. I think it's yeah. turtle. Um, the opening scene is a spaceship taking off it's that unmanned probe that was supposed to go like jupiter and back uh we've seen spaceships in ishiro honda sci-fi movies and even godzilla movies before the difference is this takes place in 1970 it was it was filmed in 1970 excuse Mm -hmm. me they know what the space shuttle actually looks like now 
And they're actually trying to recreate and make it look more like the footage you would have seen on the news. And Ishiro Honda films this sucker like Tony Scott would, like 15 years later. <laughs> like, it's up against this really powerful orange sunset and silhouettes. There's a lot of, like, really extreme angles to sell the epicness of the ship. I'm watching this and I'm going, wow, this movie might be fucking amazing. It really feels like Ishiro Honda is, like, pushing himself. And a few times it, it does. Mostly not so much. Uh, but that opening really set me up for some really cool shit. But yeah, the the space probe goes into outer space. It gets taken over by this like blue, shiny, animated cloud. Looks really cool, actually. Um, and then we cut to an airplane where one of our main characters, he's a photographer, uh, is just looking out the window. And he's, after reading a newspaper about how the space probe has gone missing, he sees the space probe like dropping through the atmosphere and then landing in the ocean. And no one else saw it but him. It's like, oh, there's a spaceship on the wing of the plane kind of moment. Uh, nobody believes him. No one wants to investigate the story. And then by sheer fucking coincidence, like a lot of coincidence, <laughs> he happens to be offered that same day a gig doing tr basically travel photography of this really far out of the way island mm. uh, where a big company wants to build a new resort. They want glamour shots. Of the island so that they can raise money and entice people to come to this place that no one's ever heard of. It happens to be like 50 yards away from that spacecraft. And on top of it all, separate from all of this, there is a scientist who is coming along for the journey because this island allegedly has monsters. That was a legend before the space amoeba thing. Yeah, and it and we're back Weird. to and we're back to that. Really unfortunate cliche, and um, I'm starting to really hate this, actually, of mm. uh, the the monster-worshipping natives stereotype yeah. that you have left over from King Kong. Yeah. Like, we're still doing... This is 1970, and we're still doing that crap. They, we, that, that, that thing had whiskers on it before Ishiro Honda was doing it. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, and here, it's just as insulting as ever. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's, some, there's some local natives who are, you know, yeah. the, the usual cliched images stereotyped images that we're used to seeing yeah and they worship a, this, this a, monster a, a monster we, and but it's it's not a monster they've seen before because the, the yeah. space amoeba hasn't shown up on this island no no so this is this is pure myth actually and it turns out that like there are already a couple of people working for this company on the island and they've been instructed that you're not supposed to fish off of like this coastline because that is the coastline where a giant monster god lives. And their argument, and they'd say to themselves, well, if we're not supposed to be there, then no one's going to see us be there, and we're going to get all this really good fishing done because no one ever fishes off here. So, harmless yeah, crime. So game on. Yeah. And then, uh, sure enough, it turns out there's a big glowy monster in the water. A giant octopus comes in, grabs a guy, pulls him into the water. Ah! And the other guy is deeply traumatized. And like the, the, the people who are the, the locals... Uh, run up to the guy and say, you have angered our God. And I half expected them to kill him. <laughs> like, it's almost like an Eli Roth movie. Like, it's just going to be like, well, fuck you, slap. Like, you know, it's going to get real dark. It doesn't. Um, he sees the error of his ways and he believes in the, the God of the thing now. Um, the photographer, the scientist, the woman who works for the, news, uh, for the uh, resort, uh, they take a cruise to the island where they got off on a small boat and go there. They run into a guy who claims to be a traveling anthropologist in like the the thinnest 
you know, I just watched this movie and you already remember more about the plot than I do. There's a guy there who's a traveling anthropologist who says, yeah, I just wander around just sort of looking at people and that's my job. And everyone's like, oh, I have no question. Actually, everyone's super suspicious of the guy and I'll give him credit <laughs> for that because he's clearly got an agenda. And sure enough, when they get there, one of the first things he does is like sneak into like the dead guy's hut and steal plans. And it turns out he's a corporate spy. Um, they get to the island. They want to investigate for monsters. Guess what? They fucking find one because there's a fucking monster. And they're like, <laughs> oh no, monster. And they're like, ah, attack monster, monster. That's not a good monster. We should probably do something about that. And Here's the thing about this movie. Once they get to the island and the monsters show up, it's almost annoyingly straightforward. Well, it's straightforward and also frustratingly slow, which is a weird thing to say about an 88-minute movie. Yeah. Uh, well, there's pacing for you, th- Yeah, there's, it, there's yeah. a lot of running from it, a lot of hiding from it, and a lot mm. of conversations about it, and a lot of just downtime Yeah. after the monster's already attacked. Now, we know the formula at this point. Sure. Where, you know, we have 30 minutes of human intrigue, monster shows up, uh, or two monsters show up in distant locations. Mm-hmm. They spend the second act wandering closely toward each other. Yeah, well, human, humans f- try yeah. to figure out what's up with these monsters. And there's a lot of then... like quick cutting and discussion yeah. of the monsters, and we see the monsters a lot. And then the entire third act, the last mm. 30 minutes of the movie, is the, the battle royale. Now, if that sounds like a really boring formula to you, you're right. That's why a lot of these movies have shit like dance competitions and diamond heists in them. They're trying to, trying to shake really, it up a little bit. Yeah, it's but... A, when it's gone, I realize I miss it. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> like, so when there's all this down and click, yeah. from what I understand, uh, Ishido Honda like kind of liked some of these later movies he made. Yeah, because he actually had the temerity to slow down a little bit and focus on uh, the people rather than the effects. He's focusing on the people. Good. Mm-hmm. But I want monster now. <laughs> I would argue. I would argue that you know we had a really long conversation last week about uh, all monsters attack, mm. uh, a movie that is almost universally derided, uh, and neither of us is particularly fond of it. But we did admit that it was a lot more interesting than people give it credit for, and we had a really long, complicated conversation about that film, the characters in it, and what it all meant. So maybe it's not good, but I would argue that movie has a lot of value. Mm. The craft on display in Space Amoeba is, I would argue, significantly better than the craft on display in All Monsters Attack, and yet the the it's such a shallow experience. Even oh, for even amongst like you know, mm. people might think that giant monster movies are kind of thin art to begin with. You're wrong, but like <laughs> if you're with us this long, you probably realize that. But if you're new. There's a lot more to a lot of these movies than people give a lot of credit for, and I've loved discovering so many of these, especially the ones I've never heard of before. Um, this one is... For, I feel like if this one had come in towards the beginning, we might be a little bit of the trend, we would be a bit more forgiving of it, because mm-hmm. it well, would have been it, like... It would have felt of, like something's forming. Yeah, it would have been laying the something's dissipating. Yeah, so this is like... I don't know. Like, it's just... This is... Novelty wears off, basically. Oh, and not- then... It's only novel for so long, right? Exactly. Novelty wears off, and then if you have no substance, you just have no substance. And, again, one philosophy I have is that every movie is theoretically someone's first, or at least their introduction to a certain actor or genre or something. And people who have gotten, like, really used to a genre, I really know it really, really well, and have gotten tired of, like, the, the cliches, or at least recognize them, uh, 
they're going to treat a movie like that differently than someone who is, this is maybe their first monster movie. If this is your first monster movie, if you've never seen like a kaiju film before, they're worse. Like it's certainly like, uh, uh, there's some cool monsters in it and there's some decent action. There's a good effect. Uh, but it's just not an interesting example of the medium. Even, even the, even movies that were technically, I would argue worse than this are more interesting than this. And that's very, very frustrating. Because, yeah, once they get to the island, once all the monsters going out, we'll talk about, like, the handful of plot points afterwards, but mostly it's running around. Uh, they There's the giant octopus thing. Uh, they they kill that sucker. Uh-huh. And uh, that's unusual, actually. Usually humans don't get to kill the kaiju anymore. Um, that's another kaiju's job. But they kill the kaiju, and they kill it pretty early in the movie, and you're like, oh... Oh, right, there are more monsters. And it turns out that when it dies, it's like the movie Fallen, and the space amoeba leaves the monster, and it finds another animal, and it makes that animal into a giant monster. And it's this uh, this crab, uh, very, very similar to Ebera in a lot of ways. And they, you know, they they find, like, this old, like, shed full of World War II ammunition and arms, and they get gasoline and guns, and they get ready, and they're like, they shoot out the the, the crab monster's eye in a really gory Mm. shot, and... A little more monster blood, and and gunfire in this one. And I got to the point where I started feeling bad for the crab monster. Like, it's not really doing anything all that evil, man. It's just kind of walking around being a crab monster, and here you are just blowing the shit out of it. And... I'm really, really glad they did something after they, like, throw the crab monster off a cliff. With admittedly a pretty epic-looking sequence. Um, Because after the space amoeba leaves the crab monster, it actually, like, leaves pieces of the crab monster. So there's... Some of it ends up infecting, like, that turtle and turns into a giant turtle monster. Uh, But some of it ends up in that corporate spy character. And he gets taken over. By the space amoeba. And I was really disappointed he didn't get 50 feet tall. That would have been cool. That would have been like, come on, what are you doing? Turn into a Frankenstein or something. Why doesn't he Um, get big? But because it's in a human body now, it actually can learn human language through being in his brain. Mm. And it's able to communicate what it wants. And it could have done a thing where it's like, just an animal, man. I'm just doing whatever. And that would have been fine. It would have actually kind of had a point. Instead, he's like, no, we're super evil, and we conquer planets. And I'm like, oh, good, I feel less bad about the crab monster. I was really feeling bad for that oh, crab really monster. Evil. It's like, yeah, it um, turns out it was an evil crab monster. I was, Could have mentioned that earlier, I suppose. Th- this movie made me uh, ask some, a, a question about Ishiro Honda's uh, religious beliefs. Oh, that's uh, interesting. Because um, in the past, we've sort of, we've reached this point in these Godzilla movies where the kaiju themselves are often equated to gods. All Monsters Attack made and, that explicit in yeah. dialogue. Yeah. But you look at sort of the movies leading up to uh, All Monsters Attack, which, again, we had an interesting conversation. It's not still not a good movie. I don't recommend you watch it. There's a lot of interesting um, movies that are not good. But I feel like that was, even though they're referring to the monsters as gods, I feel like he's trying to take a lot of the divinity out of the equation. It's trying to give a much well, because more... Because that's kind of a meta-narrative yeah, as well. It's like kids looking at and movies. And I was just really. looking up, like, w- w- was uh, Ishiro Honda an adherent to yeah, any, any faith? Atheist, devout, and, something. I uh, and uh, I learned just briefly that uh, his parents were Buddhists. Okay. Uh, and uh, he described himself as a humanist. Okay. 
whether or not and Buddhism doesn't have God in it. Not, yeah, not it's in the more same, of a, not in the same way no. Christianity or Judaism. Might. No, that's, that's not really um, an element of worship in the way that we know it in a lot of other religions. Yeah, like like there there are deities in in Buddhism, yeah. but it's not there's not like the the one deity above all in quite the same yeah. way. And if he describes himself as a humanist, then no, there isn't like a central god figure in yeah. his personal philosophy. Uh, and I feel based like based on what little we've read, to be the, fair, yeah, there, um, we might be more to it than that. But I, I find that interesting because I'm looking at something like Space Amoeba. I'm looking at All Monsters Attack, where we're trying to put the humans back in the center of these stories. Yeah. We're trying to teach, treat these monsters like they are animals, that they're sort of na- nature forces, maybe uh, metaphorical forces of some kind, but they're not holy or divine forces. Yeah. And especially not in Space Amoeba. No, they don't have personalities. Is, they don't yeah. of their own they don't mm. you know it's not like godzilla who like it builds a personality over time so mothra yeah, we, is benevolent we've it's been giving uh, mothra i feel like is mm. a god metaphor because mothra is literally worshipped literally and, worshipped and, and fulfills their end of that bargain yeah to be and, fair. like they and, do stuff and mothra know? also you know uh, is is sort of this benevolent force gives of herself yeah. in order to protect she literally humans. sacrifices yeah. herself there's, in a there, martyr there's, yeah, there's, way. A, there's a martyrdom to, to a character like mothra whereas uh, godzilla might say is a little bit more demonic a little bit more mm-hmm. earthy is more uh more like almost, almost like dionysus but that, i was gonna say that's, just a chaos demon but okay yeah, yeah, yeah. just sort of the, yeah this agent of chaos um eris the you know, goddess you know what, of discord. You know what? You know what Godzilla. And again, this is a very uh, more, much more Western way of looking at it. But like to create maybe an image in your head of how that works, um, almost more of a Greek god kind mm. of thing, where like you know he's he's god he's godlike powers, but he's also deeply flawed mm. and not necessarily always making smart decisions. Kind of wrathful in a lot of I, ways. I always prefer my stories about like religious like gods or whatever that aren't supposed to be like perfect because i think those are more interesting metaphors for humanity mm. uh, as opposed to just yeah there's this perfect thing and you can never reach that i'm like oh great thanks um oh. well that and that was um if you've ever read on the nature of things i haven't read um, that, so. in, in ancient roman text um yeah. where uh it, it, it well, argued that actually. that everything was made of particles it was one of the first uh, yeah, sort of yeah earliest texts that, yeah. that sort of posited or at least popularized the idea of like atoms that that matter is made up of particles and uh the author argued that was it lucretius Uh, i'll i'll look into it here nature of things uh yeah what's lucretius well done indeed i just wanted uh, jeopardy double jeopardy daily double on jeopardy well done indeed um because i remembered lucretius uh but the idea was lucretius uh believed that if everything's made of particles, then surely the gods, too, are made of these particles. Sure. Uh, and that they should be, uh, because, it, you know, if they're, if they're gods out there, then they're idealized beings, right? Yeah. That's the way we, we sort of conceive of gods. And those are things that we should emulate. But Lucretius uh, said that we shouldn't worship them. Because they're so far beyond us. Mm. They don't care about our admiration, yeah, like they're they're so much better than we are that we should maybe imitate them, but we shouldn't ever give of ourselves for their benefit because they're not getting anything from us. They're already better beyond us. Yeah, I'm. That's Ishida Honda, looking at monsters. That's one way of looking they're, at it. They're bigger and they're better, but these aren't gods to worship. You know, the the humans are the more interesting characters. 
I feel like there's a certainly an irony to that thought because you watch these movies and after oh, after a while we start focusing just as much on the monsters as we do on the people. Yeah. Often we're focusing on the monsters well, more than we are on the well, people. And over the final time, conflicts are conflicts between monsters, not conflicts between people. Over time, the monsters, at least the recurring monsters, mm. have developed meaningful personalities. Godzilla mm. has a vibe now. Yeah. God knows Manila does. Mothra has a personality. You know, we've we've heard people translate stuff Rodan has said. Mm. Like some of them have become, whether or not they're deities, certainly characters. Yeah. You're not just beasts, mm. if you will. Even but I, 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 I can't help but think that a movie like Space Amoeba is Ishiro Honda's uh, parable about the dangers of worshipping these destructive creatures. Because what is the spiritual being that's possessing these giant monsters but a wicked one? It's a mm. deceiver. Yeah. It's, it's a demonic presence. Yeah. There's the, the movie... Okay, so the, the, the big plot point in like the last bit, other than that guy getting possessed by the Space Amoeba... Uh, is that it turns out that like every time the space amoeba monsters have been kind of thrown off their game or off balance or whatever, uh, there was an animal using sonar near it. It was either a porpoise or a bat. So they figure, okay, so this oh, thing right. is this it's thing like, is really like... vulnerable to sound. So what can we do? They're stuck on an island. They don't have like you know scientific equipment. So the whole thing is we're just gonna find a cave full of bats and hole up in there. Not the worst idea, honestly. Right. Um, so they do, and then the guy who's possessed by the space amoeba shows up. He still pretends to be a normal guy. And then he <laughs> sets the cave on fire and traps the bats inside. And he says, I love it when he starts talking all ominous, like, because at some point it's like, yes, we come from the farthest reaches of space. And, 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 and they distort conquerors. his voice a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah all, they add a little, like, underlighting to his face. That comes well, and, out of and, nowhere. And he doesn't speak, like, his jaw hangs open and the words yeah. come out. That's kind of spooky. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's got a creepy vibe, but... He's giving all these, like, portentous things. We come from far beyond the stars. We have conquered the, the worlds beyond, and we will conquer Earth, too. You have discovered our one weakness, but after we kill these bats, we will be undefeatable. And I'm like, we have more bats. <laughs> They're not, like, only on this island. Like, we have quite a few bats, actually, and we you haven't even touched the porpoises. I kind of hoped that... Uh... <clears throat> the humans like somehow found their own benevolent space amoeba mm -hmm. and it would be another monster v monster fight. It's like, well, okay, you possess a bat and there'd be yeah. a bat kaiju and fights against the space amoeba. Kaiju. There, there's definitely more, I don't know, spiritually benevolent ways they could have taken the story where this monster takes over the guy and, it, and it's this, it's, it's, the oldest plot point in the book. Oh, you've been taken over by a monster. And then the one woman in the cast says, oh, but remember you're a person. And he's like, oh shit, you're right. Um, mm -hmm. Well, I'll try to fight myself and maybe save the day and sacrifice myself. Yay. And I'm like, so many other options you had. And that doesn't mean that they weren't creative. It means that they probably made this choice because they could have had the creature learn about humanity mm -hmm. and become conflicted and maybe sacrifice themselves to save humanity. Uh, they could have had the uh, uh, more in-depth conversation about all of these big themes. And instead, yeah, they made a conscious choice to just say this thing is evil. The thing behind these godlike creatures is evil and must be stopped. And so <clears throat> they, uh, the guy is able to save the bats. And good, those bats did nothing wrong. I was really mad about the bats. I was like, hey, come on. <laughs> 
Uh, he, he saves the bats. The bats come around and the bats start like flying over all the animal monsters. And all of that sonar apparently breaks the spell. So they stop acting in, in like in service of this space deity. Uh, but they still start fighting each other. The, mm. the turtle monster and the, the crab monster. That were just created out of nowhere. And now they're starting, starting he, to wail on each other. And you know what? I started to, going back to your idea of like, okay, what if God is real, but God is evil. Hmm. I looked upon those monsters with such pity. <laughs> they had no control over this. They didn't want to grow 50 feet tall. They didn't want... They're just really to... big animals at they're that They're just really point, big yeah. animals, and they're confused. And all they know is that they're gigantic, and they're full of aggression, and that people are being mean to them, and there's all these noises that are getting into their head, and it really, really hurts. And they just start fighting each other. I don't know if they want to. I don't know if they. there was the only thing they could conceive of doing... Uh, I just felt a huge swell of pity for these damn creatures, even as they're having the single most phallic fight <laughs> we've had to date. And that is saying something because the turtle monster, its head juts out in yeah, an, an right. attack yeah, move. Like a, it has an extendable yeah. neck. If you recall, there was an old He-Man action figure called Mecha Neck, and his whole thing is his neck shot up. Oh, I, I I had something like it was like Serpentor or, or oh yeah there was a uh, there was a there was a, there was snake, a, there was a snake that did the same thing the same actually thing. yeah yeah I had the snake version of that okay Mecha Neck hold on yeah, yeah Mecha Neck fictional it's... character from the Masters of the Universe franchise and his neck would go wee uh, I don't remember what the I, I there was a snake though you're right I don't remember I, I can't remember if that was He Man or not it was he it was Masters of the Universe yeah. And it was named uh, Rattlor, R-A-T-T-L-O-R. Okay, like, like a Rattler, rattler. but okay. But a rat-lor, yeah. When you say it in a vacuum like that, it sounds like a rat It had a, like a button a on its belt, and you yeah. pushed it, and its head would I had, pop I had out. both of those, now that I recall, actually, and I made them fight because they were similar. Um, My toys always got along. I was such a boring kid. <laughs> I, here's what would happen. I would have them all like line up and prepare for battle, and then they would negotiate peace. <laughs> like that was, those were those were the war games I played. When I, like clearly, I had a like turbulent life, so my play yeah. was always very gentle. I uh, my 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 toys were always very. Uh, uh, fate had terrible things in store for them, but were not my fault. I kept my GI Joes in this uh, with with the little tiny ones. Like it was like mm. you put like. Three dozen of them in like a small little lockbox. It was a little tiny lockbox. It was it was like a large cigar box, and I kept all of my GI Joes in there. And I would flip open the top, and I would select the GI Joes I needed for today's adventures, and I would play my games. And I left the room once, and uh, when I came back, I saw our cat uh, Patricia uh, using it as a litter box. Oh no! And she, she peed all over them, and oh, I was just like, oh god. my god, I have to write that into the narrative now. That's so horrible for them. And cat pee is like, like acidic. Oh, it's, oh like yeah, it's really it's, gross. It's, yeah. It was really gross. Yeah, it's kind of kind of ruined playtime for a while. You just honestly. take that whole box into the tub and fill it up with water. Yeah, kinda, rinse it, rinse yeah, it, it out. Just, it was just awful. Anyway, um, but I digress. Uh, but yeah, and then, uh, and then the heroes are just... The heroes don't even have really... They don't even bother really with the whole... Yeah, it really makes you think, doesn't it? They're basically no, just like, good, say, they're yeah. dead, fuck them, bye! <laughs> then they, the movie's over. Mm. 
These they, animals die. They, they, they appreciate that the guy, like, literally throws himself into a volcano. Like, how do you kill the space amoeba if it, if it, it possesses something else mm. after it dies? Volcano. Always a volcano. Fine. It's the, the Terminator Ge- 2 did the pow- same thing. Fuck it. You know, powerful force of nature yeah. that we can't recreate. Yeah, fire- and, and I appreciate that, despite yeah. all the gunplay in the movie, that it wasn't yeah. like a bomb or a tank that took care of the space and the do, do you remember when... The, I, I swear this is going to... I'm going somewhere with this. Uh, do you remember when UPN premiered? Okay, because they, had, they yes. had they had Star Trek Voyager and everyone was like, Jan- oh, there's a show. January they, of 1995, I remember, yeah. But they didn't just have Star Trek Voyager, they also had some sitcoms. Uh-huh. And one of them was, they was they were on a block, I think they were on right after Voyager, or right after Nowhere uh, Man. Pig Pla- uh, That was the one. Uh, I remembered Platypus Man. Platypus Man was Richard Jenny's sitcom. Yes, that was but, the one I watched, because it's actually pretty okay. But there was another one, yeah, you're right, I, I was going to ask you what it was called, you mm-hmm. remembered it, it's Pigsty. Uh, there was, there's only one thing I remember about the sitcom Pigsty. It's one line and it's always stuck with me. Then you remember more than the actors, I'm sure. <laughs> Probably. But there's a bit where they're having like a barbecue and some guy like was responsible for bringing like the burgers and stuff. And his whole thing was, uh, I'm go- they gave me a certain amount of money. I don't have to spend all that money and I can pocket the change. So he got like, ex- like barely expired meat okay. and everyone's like, we're all going to get sick. And he just said, Hey. Fire kills everything. <laughs> and that always stuck with me. Fire kills everything. Because movies rely on that. No matter what happens, fire will kill it. Mm. It might take a lot of fire. It might need like molten lava. But by God, fire will kill it. And that's the philosophy that Space Amoeba has. Oh I, I can think of so many horror movies that end yeah. with a monster on fire. Yeah. The monster's mm. on fire. The monster gets melted. The monster falls mm. into a volcano. Did, did you see Smile? I did see Smile. Uh, yeah. f- fire is used to some pretty damning effect at the, near the end of that movie. Too. Yeah, but I would argue that the movie ultimately isn't as trite as all just fire kills it kind no, of thing. No, no, no. I mean, there, there's a lot more going on in Smile. Yeah. But yeah, but, but basically like it's one of those things where it's like, how am I supposed to kill this unkillable monster? And you, you assume fire. Why? Because at some point, hmm. you know, we figured out how to how to how to create fire whenever we wanted to. Yeah. And it was surprisingly useful. We can see things better. It makes food taste good. We seem to be getting a lot sick a lot less when we eat food that's been fired up a bit. Uh, animals aren't particularly fond of it, so they stop bothering us so much. Like there were upsides. So we immediately go like, yeah, fire. Fire will kill everything, right? I guess. Kill, kill, <laughs> turns, turns, kill, kill, kill space amoebas. Kill Skyju. Kill space yeah. amoebas, good. You know? Done. Uh, anyway, that's... And then space yeah. amoeba ends. That, it, yeah, it's pretty brief. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's it's badly paced. Yeah. I, I find pretty, the human characters to be pretty dull. They're, uh, they, and, and, and they're, and they're, they're inconsistent, dull, too. They're dull, they're inconsistent, like, and we spend too much time with that like the photographer guy he starts he's he's clearly like our main character because yeah. he gets the most screen time and he does the most but like he starts off as a guy who's like a down on his luck photographer and then he's the kind of guy who would turn down a lucrative gig just for like artistic principle and then he takes it anyway for no fucking reason and then when monsters attack he immediately like suits up drops the whole artist thing and becomes like this you know, commando warrior. He's just all over the place. Uh, none of it feels justified. It just feels like whatever the movie needed of him, that's what he was in that scene. And it, it, with so little happening, that little consistency is really, really frustrating. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't, 
I, I think there's there's fun stuff in this movie, and if your taste in kaiju movies uh, hasn't been refined as much as ours might have been since we've been like mainlining these things for the last few months, uh, you might be kinder to this movie. But I can see why Ashiro Honda, in addition to the shameless insult that Toho gave to the visual effects artist who, yeah. frankly, gave us these movies and a- made them a- popular. Eiji Tsuburaya, yeah. I can, in addition to being deeply offended by that, I can also see why he's getting kind of tired of this and why he would maybe take a step back because it just feels like maybe now is the time. Also, Toho was moving on from this kind of movie. While they would continue to make uh, kaiju movies, apparently this was kind of the last of their like big sci-fi films for a while. Uh, so, yeah, an era was coming to an end and we're going to focus uh, more exclusively on Godzilla for... A long time, and the with, Thank Godzilla It's Friday podcast, and, and without Ishiro Honda, and without yeah. Ishiro Honda, we're, we're, until we get to Terror of Mecha Godzilla, he does come back. Godzilla, but uh, comes back think, for one I last think, one last ride. I think the bulk of the ones we're going to see moving forward are Jun Fukuda, and we've yeah. seen a few Jun Fukuda films, and he has a very different vibe. Very different vibe. Very different vibe. They can be fun, but it's a very different vibe, and it's just it's. I'm gonna miss him, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna miss Jiro Honda. Jiro Honda had ambition with a lot of these. Well, things. but he was he'll, creative. He'll, he'll, he'll be back. He'll he be worked. Back. He worked with Kurosawa. True, um, but we're not going to be reviewing those movies because Ran but, is not about Godzilla. But no, Ran is not about Godzilla. But my point being, oh, you I'm can sorry, st- but I'm right. Kajimusha is. My apologies. You can just watch those movies. <laughs> I know and I'm, have good experiences on our podcast. We won't be talking about it. I recommend you watch Kajimusha. I recommend you watch Ran. Those are yeah. good movies. Of course, they're good movies. I'm not. Of course, I'm not saying they're not good movies. I'm just saying we won't be covering them on this podcast. We don't have an engineered excuse to talk about those movies Hmm. for an hour every week. And that makes me sad. Um, For Kagemusha... Yeah. uh, 1980. Yeah. He was the second unit director. Yep. And he was the production coordinator. For Ron, he was... Uh, he had a credit, which I, I'm not really f- sure what this person does. He was credited as counselor on Ron. Yeah, I'm, 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 D- I'm The not director counselor. So I'm guessing he yeah. was just like Kurosawa's buddy. <laughs> it was just like keeping the production on track. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it was a huge epic. It might have just was been... a, a creative consultant on Dreams. He was the yeah. associate director on Rhapsody in August. And then he was the directorial advisor and co-writer... Of Madadayo, which was Kurosawa's mm. final film in 93. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Um, but anyway, and, yeah. And, and he passed, I guess he passed away at some point in the mid-90s. Um, yeah. yeah, 93 he died. He was yeah. 81. Uh, but hell of a career Shiro Honda. And again, we still have one more Shiro Honda film. I'm very excited about that. Uh, but yeah, next time on Thank Godzilla, It's Friday, uh, we are going back uh, to Godzilla land, uh, where Godzilla... We'll fight them. Oh, oh, and here's another thing. We're finally at the point where a lot of Godzilla movies just have verses in the title. Yeah. After all these, all of these monster movies, they only one was a versus. Uh, sorry, two were verses. It was King Kong versus Godzilla and Mothra versus Godzilla. Next week, we finally get a movie with a versus where Godzilla gets top billing. Yeah. So this time it's Godzilla versus Hedora. Which oh. one's Hedora? 
Hedorah's the smog monster. Oh, shit. <laughs> I've seen this one and I don't like it. Yeah, oh, well, um, it's... Maybe, I haven't seen it in a while. Maybe I like it more than I've seen more of these different, movies. Well, yeah. think of it as Godzilla versus the Blob. Sure. Because that's what we're looking at here. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's not a bad pitch. Don't get me wrong. Hedorah the smog monster is a creature uh, like that is... It's like Ninja Turtles. It rises yeah. up out of, like, pollution. Yeah. And becomes this ir- indestructible monster. Ah. Themes. And, and it's and it's very strange. Okay. Uh, it's it's another one with a dance competition. Yes. Uh, Jun Fukuda's back, because he did Ebiro <laughs> Horror of the Deep as well, and he loves the dance competitions. <laughs> and it ends on, uh, with an English caption, an English language caption, huh. that I believe says, and perhaps another one? Which I think was supposed to be like a, a grave warning, like another, like will another one come? But it, it mm. it's worded strangely. It is strange. Well, in any case, we'll be reviewing that next week on Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for joining us. If you have anything you want to talk about uh, from this episode, do you remember this movie? Do you have any information about the movie that we didn't unearth? Uh, feel free to send us a line. Uh, our email address is mm-hmm. letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our PO box? Yeah, send us an actual physical letter to. Uh, the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And I need to amend my statement because I don't think Jun Fukuda made Godzilla vs. Hidora. Oh, no. It was. This It was a, a director named Yoshimitsu Banno, and I think oh. this might have been his only Godzilla film. Okay. But after that... Okay. Uh, so Jun Fukuda will take over. He'll do Godzilla vs. I bet Jun Fukuda was just... really mad that he did a dance competition. It's like That was my it, thing. But yeah, um, yeah, Yoshimitsu Banno. Um, okay. Cool. He, he also produced the legendary Godzilla movies. So at yeah. least they got somebody who had some, mm. a hand in Godzilla prior. Yeah, and he did second unit on Hidden Fortress. He has a big career. We'll talk about it next time. Um, anyway, again, thank you everybody for listening. We did the whole uh, thing. If you want to listen to all of our episodes of our new shows, including Thank Godzilla, It's Friday, ad-free. And if you want to listen to Thank Godzilla, It's Friday a week early, so that if you're listening to this episode on our main podcast feed, our free podcast feed with commercials, you could listen to the episode of Godzilla vs. That Smog Monster right now if you wanted to. You just had to have or head over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network where we have our ad-free shows. Uh, we have our uh, our early episodes of Thank Godzilla It's Friday. And we have a lot of Patreon exclusive shows, including uh, commentary tracks, uh, only the best. We review every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. Uh, I think we're about to do next month. We're going to be heading into 1954. All of the nominees, 1954. Uh, we have all our yesterdays. We review every single episode of Star Trek in order, and we have a lot of other bonus podcasts that we've done in the past that have run their course, like a show where we watched and reviewed every single episode of the Batman animated. Uh, sorry, not the Batman animated series. The Batman live action series with Adam West. That's right. Different thing. Um, and uh, also we did every episode of Firefly. We did one where we did a whole bunch of like really obscure Disney movies and TV movies as well. Those are all available at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Thank you to all of our patrons. Without you, we couldn't do this. So thank you. You mean the world to us. Uh, and of course, we're on social media at Critic Acclaim uh, on Twitter and Blue Sky. I'm on Twitter, Blue Sky, Instagram, and everywhere else at William Bibiani. And he's at William I'm at, Whitney I'm, Seibold. I'm at Whitney Seibold. He sure is, by all. Anyway, that's that's it for the monster movie. Uh, oh, no, volcano fire kills everything. Bye, Rar. <laughs>